0: Uh, Please take a seat. Um, Now, if you are primary school aged, uh, there is a program out in the foyer. Um, If you don't like my preaching, uh, you can probably pretend you've got a primary school aged child and uh, go out there with them if you want as well. Um, But kids can head out now. uh, As we do that, let's pray. Triune God, it is wonderful to be able to be here this morning to sing to you and just to acknowledge your goodness. And we love those words we've just repeated, that you are the God who does not fail. Um, We hold on to those words, we cling to those words, and we know those words are true. Um, We pray this morning as we open your scriptures that um, your Holy Spirit might uh, enliven us and we will be receptive to hear what it is you want to say to us this morning. We pray this in the risen name of our King Jesus. Amen. Uh, how many of you remember a film called The Truman Show? Anyone? A few people. Cool. Now, this movie played on the idea, what if my life is really just a movie with actors being controlled by some director? You know, and, and in this film, the main character, Truman, he had lived his whole life unaware that somebody else was watching him at all times. They could control traffic, control the weather, arrange what the other actors were saying, all for the enjoyment of the rest of the world who were watching. And once Truman finds this out, he's shocked and he panics. He seeks to hide, but eventually, at the climax of the show, Truman manages to escape. He finds freedom from the control of the director who's controlling all his life. It's a really good movie, and I think it's one that resonates quite deeply for us. Like, we're cheering for Truman here, right? We're wanting Truman to get free from this person controlling his life. And I think deep down we have this belief that I will be the most free when I am the one who is most in control. The more control I have, the more freedom I have. Think of Queen's great song, I Want to Break Free. (laughs) It's almost this common sense truism now, isn't it? I want to be free to live my life. I want to be the one who calls the shots. Now, we're living in the age, in all of human history, I believe, where we have the least amount of external controls in our life ever. My question is, are we seeing the most freedom? We've got less voices controlling us, more individual freedom to do off whatever we want, but when we look around, are we seeing more human freedom? You know, even just within the church, we've got mental health issues skyrocketing, increasing anger and tension within the church, let alone within society, more and more relationships breaking down, is the answer to go, I'm going to try and take even more control of my own life? I'm going to throw off everything else that is perhaps seeking to control me? See, in this final chapter of Joseph's story, we discover that freedom is found in recognizing God is in control. The more we recognize God's control, the more freedom we have. And we've, I mean, the story's been very, very well recapped. But just, just very quickly, remember we heard last week about Joseph revealing himself to his brothers as the new prime minister of, of Egypt. And they were stunned because this brother that they had sold into slavery as a teenager was now like the second most powerful person in the entire world. Joseph reassured them that this was all part of God's plan, and he told them to come to Egypt with their families to find safety from this famine. They come back, and Jacob, Joseph's dad, he comes back too. There's a real emotional reunion. But eventually, Jacob dies, and Egypt holds this massive royal funeral for this man. And then we have this. If you've got your Bibles and want to turn to Genesis chapter 50, we have this, which is kind of going to be our focal text for the day. So we read this, uh, this is Genesis 50 verses 15. It said, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now, look at Joseph's brothers here, just so you can understand what's going on. At, at the very beginning of the story, right, they were upset at Joseph sharing their dreams with him, and Joseph just being pretty much a downright annoying brother, right? Right? And they decided, pretty drastic, they decided to get rid of him. And do you notice in the text here how they finally are describing their actions? You know, they describe them as their wrongs, these sins, these transgressions. This is the first time they're actually confessing that their behavior was evil. And see how they have ended up as a result of this. They're now living in a foreign country after trying to take control of the situation. They're now absolutely powerless, living in this land as shepherds who are disliked by the Egyptians. After taking control of the situation, they're fearful. They're saying, maybe Joseph has a grudge against us, and they're worried what this prime minister, their brother, is going to do now that their dad is dead. Maybe Joseph was just being nice to us when dad was around, but dad's gone now. Maybe now he's actually going to make us suffer. So they're worried what will happen. Uh, In the text, it says, pays us back for all the wrongs we did. Literally, it says, they will surely pay us back what we deserve. What did the brothers deserve? I mean, they had sold their younger brother into slavery, and now he was the Egyptian prime minister. They have tried to take God's control by getting rid of something that annoyed them, they've done something incredibly evil sentencing Joseph effectively to death by sending him away into slavery. But do you notice what they're doing in this text? (laughs) They're trying to take control again. They're telling a lie. They're telling a fib to try and save themselves here. They take this imaginary message from their dad, just trying to cover their backs. And maybe you're starting to see a little spiral that I think goes throughout the Bible. If we try to take God's control and take control of situations, it hurts us. And then if we keep trying to take control of these situations to get out of that hurt, it just hurts us more. When we take God's control, it hurts. See, that's one of the key threads in the book of Genesis here. When humans think they are God, it always leads to hurt. I mean, think of those words the serpent tempted Eve in the garden with. Eat this fruit, you will be like God. You will be the one who can call the shots. You can determine what is right and wrong. You will be the boss. And and, and it feels true to us, doesn't it, today? Like, when we actually think about it, it feels like we can control most things. But I think when we read the Scriptures, that illusion is pretty quickly shattered. When we read the Bible, we get a pretty clear message that we're not the one who's in control. God is. Psalm 139, which is one that many of you have probably read and found comfort in before... It literally says God has written down each of the days of your life before they've come to be. God could write your journal for you. He could write tomorrow's journal entry for you. Uh, Zechariah 10 verse 1 says God makes the seasons and the clouds and he sends the rain and the weather. Not the Met Service. They just tell us what's happening. Job twelve twenty three and I think this one's pretty shocking. Job twelve twenty three reminds us that God builds up nations and tears nations down on almost every page of the Bible is this repeated message, God is in control. Now, it may not feel like it for you right now. You may not be able to see it, but the Bible says God is in control. Now, it's clear God created us to be sub-rulers, right? We are to be people who make plans and seek to build our lives into what God has called us to become. But we are not to be people who overstep and seek to take God's control from him. You might be sitting there going, well, what does it look like to take God's control? What does it mean to take God's control? It's when you decide you know right from wrong better than God, and you'll create your own standards. It's when you think that ends justify the means, so you're happy to lie or manipulate or hide all to get something which might be good. It's when you abuse the freedom of another person seeking to control other people for your purposes. Maybe a sure sign that you're taking God's control is that over the last seven days, I mean, have you thought about God? (laughs) Have you talked to God? Have you shared your plans with God? And one of the key nuggets of truth the Bible teaches us is that when we do this, when we seek this control, and I mean, the Bible calls it sin, right? Your sins will find you out. Joseph's brothers thought they'd gotten away with murder or selling their brother into slavery They thought they'd gotten away with it with taking control of the situation, but years later They were found out And if you're trying to take control in areas of of life and go beyond what God has said You might get away with it for a little while But sin always bears fruit and that fruit will be seen some practical ideas here, you know, God is in control and has a plan for marriage, for example. If you try to go beyond that by pursuing someone who's married, uh, neglecting your own marriage, uh, seeking the benefits of marriage outside of marriage, you're seeking to take control. You're telling God, I know right from wrong. That might work for a little while, but it will bear a fruit, and that will hurt. God is in control and has a plan for how we use our money, the resources we have, if we go beyond that control by seeking to be greedy and building up our own empire and ignoring generosity, you're seeking to take control. You're saying you know better than God, and that will be a fruit, and that will hurt. See, Joseph's brothers show us what happens when we try to take control from God and choose our own way. It hurts. So, so, so how do we get out of this? Um, because this is something I think we all do. I think the text goes on to say we've got to be people who give up control. See, the next verse says this, after they discovered Joseph is weeping, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. See, when the brothers see Joseph weeping and realize that their lie of trying to take control has been found out, they've got two options, don't they? (laughs) Number one, they could keep trying to seek control of the situation. They could keep telling lies and go, no, 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 Jacob really said this. Seriously, trust us, Joseph. They could have kept doing this. Or they could give up. They could recognize, look, we don't really have control and put themselves at the mercy of the one who does. And I think this verse, Genesis 50 verse 18, is the first wise move the brothers make in the entire story. Notice the language here, they threw themselves down. Beforehand, the brothers had bowed before Joseph. They'd lain down before him as an act of what you should do to a royal. But here, this is them recognizing they have nothing. They throw themselves down. And do you see how their language has changed? Beforehand, they referred to themselves as your brothers, right, when they were talking to to Joseph. But what do they call themselves here? We are your slaves. This is the same language that Paul uses in the New Testament to describe our relationship with God. If you're a Christian, if you're someone who is in Christ, you're literally Christ's slaves. God is the master, He is the one with power. And I wonder have have you or I forgotten that God is the potter? You're the clay. Have you forgotten that God is our master, a good, loving, kind master, but we are the slaves? And if so, I think we actually need to learn from Joseph's brothers here. This is the one thing we can learn from Joseph's brothers and repent, right? And, and I think this is actually often a moment, a physical moment. It's not you just sitting there going, yeah, I should do this. It's actually a moment of falling down before God, confessing that sin of whatever you've been trying to seek control and voicing out loud a recognition that God is in control and I am not. And, and I wonder if I, I know I have, I wonder if we together have forgotten the importance of these kind of prayers of repentance. Sometimes we think this is just something for a non-Christian before they become a Christian, right? But I think when we read the Bible, we see this is something that Christ followers practiced as well. We need to be people who are confessing our sins, turning from seeking to control. Because if we want somebody else to lead us, we've got to give up our own control first. Then finally, what do we need to do next? What do we do after this act of confession? And I think the final step here is we trust in God's control even when it hurts. That's what we've been singing this morning. It's a nice little slide on a PowerPoint, but I think this is something that's very tricky to do. (laughs) Because Joseph said to them after they'd just thrown themselves down and said, we are your slaves, this is what Joseph says. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, that god intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives so then don't be afraid i will provide for you and your children and he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them now me lydia and mal were just talking about this this moment when we're in those little discussion groups joseph has an opportunity for revenge here doesn't he (laughs) He has an opportunity for some sweet, sweet revenge, which he's probably been waiting about 13 to uh, 20 years to deliver. Okay, his brothers are lying before him, just called themselves slaves, but Joseph doesn't take control here. Do you hear his words? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Isn't there an amazing harmony here in that if you've read Genesis before, it opens with the story here of Adam and Eve trying to be like God, and it closes by telling us about a man who denied he was God. Adam and Eve attempt to wipe out that link between God and humanity, but Joseph here refuses to cross that line. Did Joseph want revenge? Probably. (laughs) I imagine he probably did, but he knew that justice belonged to God, and he would leave that in God's hands and in God's control. And then he says these powerful words. If you've got a pen and you like writing on Bibles, uh, this is a good one to highlight if you've got your Bible app open. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, listen very carefully to these words here, and I want to be clear Joseph is not saying that what happened to him was good. Joseph is not saying that what the brothers did to him was good, okay? The word here that is translated as harm in NIV literally means evil or absolutely no good. Their act of beating him, selling him into slavery, abandoning him, and continually seeking to control him, that was evil. That was evil. That was not good. Now, you might be sitting here reflecting on the ways that you've broken God's control by overstepping and taking control of things yourselves. Maybe you're thinking about the way you've done this in marriage and relationships and finance or friendships. You're thinking about your gossip or your greed, your cheating, your stubbornness, your flirting, your pride. Those things are harmful. They're, they're evil. They're not good. But God, in his absolute mastery and control, can turn those evil things and use them to achieve good. God uses the betrayal of Joseph by his brothers to save them from famine. God uses a thorn in Paul's flesh to show the world how God's grace is enough. God uses the lustful pride and vanity of Samson to save Israel from the Philistines. Now, when Joseph was sitting in his prison cell for all those years, did he know that God would intend these times for good? Did he know that he was going to end up being the prime minister of Egypt? I would say no. So you also might be sitting here, and you might be someone who's on the other end. You've been on the receiving end, like Joseph was, of the hurt of somebody else or of this broken world. Maybe you've been hurt by someone else's gossip, lust, or great greed. Maybe you feel like life is spiraling with misfortune after misfortune, and you can relate to that feeling of Joseph sitting in his prison cell wondering if God is in control. Even from this place, just like we have been singing, God intends your life for good. Now, it may not be the good you imagined as a child or even the good you imagined right now. God's good can involve discomfort, suffering, or pain, but it's a good that keeps singing of God's goodness in unexpected ways. See, Joseph had arrived at a place where he realized he had no control, and so he chose to trust the one who was in control. And even as he trusted, he stayed in prison. Trusting the one who is in control does not mean that your situation will change, but it does mean you'll know the presence of this one in that situation. And here's the key thing. Our God is not a God who's in control and is far away. See, Joseph, you probably noticed this because this is common sense. Joseph didn't choose to go to prison, did he? (laughs) He didn't choose to be betrayed. This was forced on him. But Jesus, who is God, God the Son, he chose to enter into humanity. Jesus chose to empty himself by becoming a servant. He chose to uh, trust the Father and chose to allow himself to be beaten, betrayed, abandoned, and executed. Joseph here said, Am I in the place of God? But Jesus, the one who is God, he chose to trust his Father to the point of death. He died, and from that incredible act of evil, humanity killing God, God used for the most amazing good the restoration of the world and the forgiveness of our sins. See, God is in control. But when I say that, I mean our triune God knows what it's like to trust. That's a crazy thought. Our God knows what it's like to be abandoned, to be betrayed. Be heard, and it is him who is in control. God knows how difficult it is for us to trust this. God knows the doubts and fears that can come circling. God knows the thought can God really work good from this? But if the resurrection is true, if Christ is alive, if the church is still full of his Holy Spirit and enduring after 2,000 years, if people are still seeing God's hands at work in mysterious and surprising ways. Surely we have to acknowledge that God is still the master of turning evil situations into good. See, in the Truman Show, that director, he existed for his own pleasure. He was controlling Truman's life for a cruel joke so others could watch and be entertained. But God isn't like that. God is like an artist who takes humans who have been broken or have broken themselves and works them into new pieces of art. And even more than this, our God is a God who allowed his body, his incarnate body, to be broken to make us whole. God is in control, but not as a faraway master, but as one who has gone before us. God has been broken so that we might live. So if you were taking the place of God's control in areas of your life, and maybe the Spirit is convicting you this morning, uh, I'd encourage you to stop and to repent, uh, to, to, to borrow the actions of Joseph's brothers, and to actually fall down on your face. If you don't want to do it at church, that's okay, but maybe when you get home, to go into your room and fall on your face and confess this before God. And if you are struggling to believe that God is in control, uh, my prayer is that you will look to Jesus to see the face of the one who knows these doubts, but also knows the truth, that our God is trustworthy even to the point of death. Let me pray now, and then we will take communion to remember um, this key moment, when God the Son trusted the Father to bring about the redemption of all. God, we thank you that you are in control. It doesn't always feel like it, and we thank you we have the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was wrestling with this very issue that we do too. But we thank you that we live this side of the resurrection so that we know beyond the cross there is life. Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus. We thank you so much for trusting the Father. Thank you for offering your life in our place so that our sins may be forgiven. We pray as we take this bread and drink from these cups, that as we do so, we would remind ourselves and choose again that we are participating in the life of Christ. And even now today, um, recommit our lives um, to his love and his grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.